afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 72 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm a one woman. And I'm Hannah Flint. This week, Ron Howard takes a deep dive into the 2018 Tam Luang cave rescue in 13 Lives. Pana Panahi takes us on the trip of a lifetime to Iran's border in his debut, Hit the Road. And documentarian Sarah Doza captures a romance between two daring volcanologists in Fire of Love. Plus, in our hot take, we talk about the dire state of the VFX industry and how studios, most especially Marvel, continue to exploit artists. What's the real cost of a good time at the movies? But before we dive into all of that, it's quite a meaty episode. I'm excited. Uh, what has everyone been up to this week? Exciting things. What exciting things have people been doing? Silence. I, <laughs> <laughs> I have been re-watching the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer ad nauseum. That's what I've been doing. Um, phenomenal. Phenomenal stuff. Had me crying at 3 a.m. Oh. Um, but uh, You stayed out to 3 a.m. to watch it? No, I was I was planning, so I went to bed. <laughs> I forgot to set an alarm because I wanted to wake up for the Marvel panel at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and I woke up at like 10 past 3 and the trailer for What Kind of Fever, which was the last thing, had just dropped. Um, and I was already been getting a couple of messages from people who had stayed up. Like, have you seen it yet? Um and yeah, proceeded to immediately watch it and ball. Um, yeah, it's just a phenomenal trailer in so many respects. Um, just in terms of the craft of it, I've actually been Twitter pals with the guy who colored Andrew Hegley uh, for, for years. Um, so we, we've been talking a lot back and forth uh, this week because um, he did a fantastic job. The selection of No Woman, No Cry, and then the transition into Kendrick, All Right, is brilliant on so many levels. You know, as I, I've, I've, I've dabbled in video editing, of course, with like a montage of the four. And I, the, the hardest part for me is picking the right track to go with the visuals. And every lyric in that No Woman, No Cry segment means more and hits harder given the context of Black Panther and Chadwick and everything else. Um, and then the transition is fantastic. And then the, the it felt like the filmmakers were telling us, even though we've had all this turmoil, even though we've lost Chadwick, even though there's been all this bad stuff associated with this film, everything is going to be all right. We've still got this. Here's the proof. And it kept telling us over and over again as the footage was getting more and more exciting. I've watched it so much. It's fantastic. I can't wait for the film. I have a question because I don't know much about how trailers are made. So forgive my ignorance, mm. but uh, for someone who cuts a trailer... Do they have mm -hmm. access to the, like, how much footage do they have access to? Do they get given, like, a 20-minute reel and it's like, do something with this, or...? I suspect it's something like that. Um, they they have a certain amount of clips to work with, um, and then they have to, like, I always say editing is, like, the world's most difficult jigsaw puzzle. Uh, you kind of figure out where all the pieces go. Um, and, yeah, obviously there's stuff that you can do... Uh, to help to speed up and slow down and accentuate certain things within all of that, um, but that is essentially I'm assuming what what they do because you know the, the film is obviously far from finished. They're still working on it in post with all the VFX and everything else, and obviously not going to put any shots in the trailer which don't have all the completed VFX or at least completed to a good degree. So they don't have everything, but they have enough to cut 
something. Mm. And the holiday didn't tell us any of that. <laughs> like, we just see her in the room with John Krasinski and Catherine Hahn. It's just like, great, nailed it. What we really need is like a behind the scenes thing about making trailers. Is yeah. there a film? Well, there Listeners, that... are there a film? Is there yeah. a film, other films out there? With Lake Bell in a, in a world. But that was that's about voiceovers. The... Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. voiceovers. That cutting of the trailers. Yeah. And, and you know what? Of course, everything you said, I'm on. Totally agree with. Amazing. But for me, it was Namor. I was like, say no more, Monday more. <laughs> I'm so excited for this character. Um, because also I really like, as someone who's mixed, and I think in like his whole origin story is being mixed. And I love the fact that, you know, you could have got like a biracial like actor to do it. But I love the fact that the point in this is that he's not biracial human. He's biracial human and Atlantean. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is that they've all got green skin. So whatever skin color you have, so they've got like a dark-skinned Mexican actor of indigenous heritage. I think that's going to be so interesting if they can also weave in that part of his narrative where they've done a color-conscious casting and to understand like, oh, cool, how's this going to, how's it going to play out? And how is that being like the first people on earth with the first people, like the people Atlantean heritage in that story? So I think, Mm -hmm. and from the trailer... What we see, I think they are going to do that, the complaints that lot. Because, you know, Namor as a character, even though it's like, they never really give what it's like human heritage really is. It's actually like, he's obviously coded as, seems like coded as like Asian. And actually he was quite, quite villainous at first. Like he was quite like a, mm-hmm. he hated the human race. And it was kind of part of that yellow peril kind of archetype but then obviously he's gone on a massive journey so I just think it's going to be amazing and then he, when you see his little baby and he's got the wing feet it's like yes yeah. is he going to fly with those wing feet I swear to god I hope it's not just going to be like flippers like you know it's like oh that's how he gets through the end no Namor can fly <laughs> let the man fly <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I love that I was surprised at how much focus Namor got in that trailer feels like they're really going to dive into his origin story and how he came to be uh, the man he is, played by Tenoch Huerta. Uh, very, very excited that he's joined the, the MCU. And yeah, it's just a shame because in, in the comics, Namor and T'Challa have a really big rivalry. And you know, yeah. imagining scenes like that playing out between Tenoch and Chadwick it would have been amazing. But, but what I like about it is that Namor also has history with Fantastic Four. So they're establishing Namor yes. now. So I really hope mm-hmm. when they do do the Fantastic Four film, there's going to be some like sexual tension uh, between <laughs> him want... and Sue, Sue Storm. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to elaborate on the Yeah, no, of course, like, there's like this whole thing between them. And like, even in like yeah. some of the later comments, it's always a big thing like, like you can't mention the guy from the deep. <laughs> <laughs> or like, or like, Reed Richards gets in yeah. his gets in his feelings about it. But now I'm, yeah. I'm really yeah. excited for it, and I'm interested. What do you, who do? Because I think obviously we see we see someone wearing the Black Panther suit. Mm. I was talking to my friend uh, about it, Corin, and he said mm. he reckons it could potentially be because Winston Duke has signed on from multi picture deal. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, who do we think is going to be? Um, the new Black Panther, because as much as I think that the film's going to be about ha- like a kingdom without a king, do you know what I mean? That kind of like that power, that power void. Who's going to step up to it? I'd be interested to know if it's going to be potentially Letitia Wright, if it's going to be Lupita Nyong'o, like N- Nakia. Uh, Clarice, who do you reckon it is then? Because then we can come back and say who is our guest. <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> um, Guess, Clarice. Uh, I'm Martin say, Freeman. <laughs> I'm gonna say Shuri because they've got um, that that woman Ironheart. Riri Williams. Williams. Yes, that was She's, really she cool. She was in the trailer, right? Yeah. Um, and I reckon those two could have fun together. So I'm gonna say Shuri. I don't like know though because Ironheart's going to go on her own journey. I think with her own series, so I don't with think she's. Gonna, I think she's like she's on an internship in with Wakanda. Do you know what okay. I mean? I feel like she's there. But I did like that little moment where they basically had the same um, hello as when you see that mimic that scene where T'Challa and Shuri come in and they do like the greeting and they replicated that thing. And yeah. I thought that was quite lovely. Yeah, um, yeah that was great. That was great. Yeah, and that, I just you know. A few days ago, I posted um, a tweet uh, from five years ago when the Black Panther cast were reacting to seeing footage from the first Black Panther movie at Comic-Con. And it reminded me of just how from around that moment on, which was like July 2017, all the way to all the way to the film's release in like February 2018, there was just such a sustained black joy and hype and excitement about this film that I've just never seen for anything else. And like, it felt like you couldn't, you couldn't go a week online without seeing something that would get you more hyped or more, or move you in some way. Like I remember seeing all the pictures and there were many of little black kids looking at posters for Black Panther in awe. I remember a story about a school in Atlanta. They found out that they were going to see Black Panther early and all the kids just jumped on the table and started dancing. That was the vibe going into Black Panther for like six months. It was incredible. Fast forward to before whatever weekend the Wakanda Forever trailer dropped. And there there was nothing like that because it felt like we were all stealing ourselves. We were all still reeling from Chadwick even though we're two years removed from it. And we didn't really know what to expect from this film. Can it still be all we want it to be without all these elements? All the news that we'd gotten about it was bad. Delays, cast injuries, etc. And it felt like when that trailer dropped, yes, it gave us space to sort of begin to mourn and also celebrate the life of Chadwick, which I think that film is going to do in a big way. But also as a license to say, you can start to get excited again. You can start to feel the joy again. And I just hope that we ride that wave for the next four months all the way to November. I'm, I'm very excited. See you in November. Everybody, yeah. goodbye. I'm going now. <laughs> <laughs> What's that Wyclef Jean song? Gone to November. Gone to yes. November. We'll be waiting till November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we move on to the show, I just want to do it at the at this point in the show. We're we're doing we're, we're, we're going live. We're going live in September. Yes. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. Make sure you get your tickets. It is uh, the pin tweet on our twitter account we always put it in the show notes as well uh september 15th seven o'clock thursday be there it's gonna be fun yes we're doing the live podcast and what we also want you to do is um come with hot takes because yes. we want to open it up and hopefully i don't know will they leave us a roving mic can we get people to share the hot <laughs> we, takes we can get a roving mic let's sure. try and oh, do that i'm but... gonna be running up and down the audience throughout the <laughs> it's gonna be like russell brand in like big brothers little brothers like, yeah you want you you want that? What do you want to say? Uh, no, it should, it should be fun. And we might be able to get a special guest. We don't know yet. People are busy. If not, <laughs> I will I will leave 
I'll leave and I'll come back in a disguise. Yeah. And I will get a mustache on. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to see that now. <laughs> Be like, it's me, Wes Anderson. <laughs> I'm to talk about my new movie. It's very symmetrical. <laughs> but I guess that's time. Let's let's dive into our reviews for the week. Uh, and we're starting off with Ron Howard. He's back. <laughs> It's 13 Lives. Hey, Rick. You following what's happening in Thailand? Some kids stuck in a cave. We're on the list of rescue divers. It's just a tourist cave. It looks easy, but when it's flooded, it's impassable. Watch as I dive in in a cave system now. (laughs) Okay, Lady Flint. Thank you so much. I I just want to say, by the time this podcast airs, I will have seen Lady Gaga live, and (laughs) this has been like the dream of my lifetime is to see her live. I'm so excited. Big time! Oh, I can't wait for the (gasps) report back on that next week. crying (laughs) i love that for you clarice but this film couldn't be further from a lady gaga concert uh just to preamble it if people were worried with my obviously sensational singing it's not it's got hope in it because it's based on a true story and anyone who's aware of what went down will know the end but in case you didn't i won't spoil it as if you can spoil real life events that happened in the recent memory. But anyway, <laughs> 13 Lives recounts the incredible true story of the tremendous global efforts to rescue a Thai soccer team who become trapped in the Tam Luang cave during an unexpected rainstorm. Faced with insurmountable odds, a team of the world's most skilled and experienced divers uniquely able to navigate the maze of flooded narrow cave tunnels joined with Thai forces and more than 10,000 volunteers to attempt a harrowing rescue of the 12 boys and their coach. With impossibly high stakes and the entire world watching, the group embarks on the most challenging dive yet, showcasing the limitlessness of the human spirit in the process. As mentioned, it's directed by Ron Howard. Interestingly enough, I think um, John M. Chu was originally down to do this, but then it changed hands um, of studios and stuff, and then he became attached with um, a screenplay by William Nicholson. It stars Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell doing accents. <laughs> Joel Edgerton, Tom Bateman, Sukalawat Kanarot, and Thirafat Jadjukul. So, I suppose to... It's interesting, because considering last week we had Notre Dame on fire, mm-hmm. which is another disaster... This is like a world away from that. So I suppose like just, I suppose uh, just in a level of like storytelling, um, the narrative, the way it was told, how do we feel like um, this, because could it easily fall into like this white savior sort of thing? And let's be real, they were white saviors. Like there's no ignoring that. But Aman, how did you feel how it kind of built up where it wasn't just a sole focus on those divers it was actually more of an ensemble situation. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, the thing, obviously, they're completely different movies. But the film which came to mind a little bit when I was watching this was Independence Day. And <laughs> the final act of Independence Day, it's very much, you know, America is going to save the world. Other, other people, they kind of help out, but like there's, there's that line by that... Um, uh, I'm not sure if it was an English actor or a guy doing an accent, but it's like, you know, it's like America's got a plan about bloody time. 
what what they what they want us to do. <laughs> that's the, that's the line that was coming to mind because this film is much different from that. It does have a focus on the Colin Fowles on the Viggo Mortensons, but it also makes sure to have a focus on the Thai characters as well and the community and how they get involved with the rescue effort. You got a lot of characters, therefore speaking Thai, um, which I really enjoyed and appreciated. They avoided a lot of tropes which they could have easily fallen into making this film, and I appreciated that. Clarice, do you agree? Yeah, I think, like, I don't know, the interesting thing about Ron Howard to me is, like, he's been in the industry since he was five years old. (laughs) I used to watch the Andy Griffith show growing up that he was in as, like, a little tiny boy. And I feel like one thing I'd always characterize his, like, career as is having... I don't know, like a sense of consciousness of the art of like how movies function and like how the history of cinema has functioned. And I feel like going into this, I could feel in every single frame. Yeah. This, this self-awareness of I am making a film about, I'm a white man making a film about this event. (laughs) Mm. I do not want to make it a white savior movie. I want to be very faithful to what happened. I want to be very measured. And so it's like, it's such a balanced movie to the Mm. point I would say like, almost to its own deficit because it's it's like so sober and it's so careful and it's like it's not it's not trying to glamorize anything at all at any point ever uh so i yeah i guess like you have to commend it for that and i really see the effort being put into it but then at the same time they there's a documentary that came out last year the the rescue which yeah. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. It's kind of like, I feel like if you've seen that, it's a little bit of a question of what are you going to gain from this, which is, could have been a bit of documentary, I guess. Mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I suppose my I, I would compare this film, just in tone and I suppose subtlety, maybe like something like Spotlight, um, where mm. it's so focused on, and what I really felt was so focused on the granular detail about how they actually did it and the events that led up to it and the circumstances of each person who joins the kind of efforts. Um, you know, there's some bits where I felt like they put in a bit of like, they try to, I don't know, lighten it and try and like give some character work. Like, I don't know. <laughs> there's a bit with custard creams that <laughs> I felt was very forced. <laughs> Um, yeah. But I actually, re- I was really, I, I don't know, I, I kind of went into this with a bit sceptical, but I was actually very, very um, left feeling, very impressed and very moved. Mm. And I want to get into um, uh, the actual, the cinematography um, mm, of yes. this, because I think this is where the strength, real strength of the film is, in that it you it was just terrifying. I It was claustrophobic. And just how much detail that they they showed and how they navigated those paths in the water under underground. It was I thought that was just phenomenal. Amon, did you? I mean, you're, you you already said yes. So I assume you're on the right side <laughs> <Yes>. of history. <laughs> <laughs> Only side to be on. Um, yeah, no, I we have to shout out the name of the cinematographer. I'm going to try and get it right. Sayambu Mukdiprom, um, who's just incredible. Like at multiple points watching this, film, I'm like, how did they get that shot? It was really, really something. And as you say, it's very, very scary. It puts you in the POV of the divers um, and you really feel to a point that you are 
uh, there with them fighting through all this water. And it's really, obviously they got many, many uh, shots, um, which are great, but I love how the animated graphics help help you understand exactly what the mission is, exactly where, what point in the cave they are, exactly how long they've been diving, a lot of stuff, a lot of information like that, uh, which is seeded throughout the film, also helped with the storytelling overall. Um, but yeah, you're completely right. The cinematography is next level. Yeah, I I, can, I feel like I'm not as enamored with this movie as you guys were. Like, I think the cinematography was very good, but... In terms of, like, the sense of claustrophobia, I feel like they could have pushed it a little bit more. The thing that I kept wondering watching this film is I would love to have seen a film that really encompassed the perspective of the boys. Like, because we don't really see them for most of the movie. They just kind of disappear. Mm. And then for most of it, they don't... <laughs> I was like, what are the kids doing this entire time? Like, they're <laughs> fucking stuck in the dark for mm. 18 days mostly no light no food like if you really wanted to make a film that captured like the fucking terror of this experience like i feel like i feel like a filmmaker who was more who wanted to do something more adventurous and bolder and take more of a risk would have really like gone in on like this is what it would be like mm. to be in mm. a fucking cave for 18 days like that to me that to me is the core of the story like i'm so like, I think what the divers did is absolutely incredible. But I'm also yeah. like, I think these kids, like, surviving 18 days is insane to me. And, yeah. like, yeah. I wish we had more of that story, I guess. I wonder, and I, I agree with you, because there was a bit where I was like, are they actually going to keep it? Is it going to be, like, a a thing where we only see what they see? Because it's kind mm. of, to kind of mm. keep that separation. But I wonder, because it was really traumatic seeing those kids um, when they've lost all the weight. And even like, I mean, I, it was just, just, I, I can't, I can't believe how many times I was crying during this film, but I wonder if that's why, because it's kind of like, do we want to see in this sort of film, do we only want to see these characters in pain and struggling? Mm. And I wonder if that's what he was trying to do. And also again, Ron Howard coming from a white American background, him telling a story of these type these Thai kids is he the right director to tell that story I don't think he is I think actually I would rather I'd rather a Thai filmmaker tell that story Uh, and also juxtapose it with what it felt like for the parents to be because what was so interesting about the film is how little information they had because it was so under wraps and even the methods and I don't want to say how the methods that got out because that was something Mm. I wasn't aware of and I think most people were because in case it went wrong but that was just insane to me and I wonder if it's like this is the story that only Ron Howard could tell in that way actually Mm. you know how many times I mean look how many World War II stories do we have like you could tell this story from a different angle and it still feel like relevant and important because what they did achieve and we do have a bit of that kind of the meditation stuff and that that Mm -hmm. coach oh yeah I thought I thought you know that's definitely I think it's I think you're definitely right I don't know if that was there was because this film was two hours 20 minutes Mm. I don't know if it would like hamper the flow and would be uneven tonally about this trying to be an inspiring thing. Cause that's like, feels like you could do 127 hours version of that. Yeah. Mm. I think you're so right. I think that I call a bunch of artistic decisions that I think were being made because Ron, again, Ron Howard was aware of himself enough to be like, okay, I'm not the guy to do this. Like, I think as well, 
there was like the the little bits about faith and like the parents and their relationship with their faith and like religious practices and there's like a bracelet that they try to give the like i think another filmmaker maybe could have explored that to more depth but you could tell that ron howard was like okay i'm gonna touch on this because i have to but i'm aware that as a white guy i shouldn't go any further <laughs> you mentioned mm. uh, that you think a thai filmmaker should 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 have been the one to direct this a Thai filmmaker has made a film about this called The Cave that was released in 2019. I think his name is Tom Waller, uh, a Thai Irish director. So, yeah. Well, there we go. Let's everyone go see that movie now. <laughs> is, is that, is it, but isn't it, isn't that still from the, um, from the diver's perspective? I don't know what perspective I, I think I was reading a bit and it was like some of them, they actually got the real people involved in it. I think, okay. but I definitely, you know, look again, maybe we can go, we can go, or we can all go out and find out a bit more about it. But definitely mm -hmm. if there is that available, I'd love to watch that film for sure. Mm -hmm. So I think let's talk about the kind of actors. Cause obviously we've got, um, Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell. Now Colin Farrell is Irish, but he's doing like, <laughs> like the characters from Brighton lives in Bristol. He's an IT consultant. And then you've got Viggo Mortensen doing and the character's like from Coventry I want to say or lives in Coventry <laughs> how do we feel about those two uh their performances and we, again accents like I'm a bit I, I'm just a stickler for accents and sometimes it kind of works sometimes it's just like oh <laughs> I I am not the accent police I, I have no authority <laughs> so so it doesn't bother me as much as it does you I thought they were fine uh obviously playing it very very restrained which I think was the right call um and yeah i th i thought they they went well together <laughs> the 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 little banter that they do have uh <laughs> i know know that you were partial to the custard creams i <laughs> I thought it was a fun moment a nice bit of levity in a very you know uh, grim movie in many respects uh so yeah they they worked for me i yeah i think i think the accents were were good I, I feel like I caught Vigo slipping a couple of times, but I think the actual like tone of the accent sounded right to me, if I might be wrong. Um, what I especially liked about those two is like the physical transformation because yeah. they so looked like dads like building an Ikea cabinet together. <laughs> Whenever they were, because this is what I love is the contrast of like when they're diving, they are like, they're superheroes and they're just doing mm -hmm. this insane stuff. And then they get out of the water and they're like in their little like t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> with their heads on yeah. their hips like huffing and puffing yeah. and be like all oh, right <laughs> with like yeah. bigger with his glasses on on the edge of his nose like it's so yeah. it's so dad um, yeah and i i loved yeah i love that i do appreciate that you know they they trained with divers they did the work to actually be able to uh you know act underwater and do those scenes themselves mm -hmm. uh, because we were remarking obviously this is you know acting and it's going to be controlled to a degree but it still looks very very intense um yeah. so so yeah i just like the that. fact that they're kind of like you know they didn't try to like hollywoodize like mm. uh, like again it's that subtlety of like oh i know these these are just like normal people and i think that really works i did think there was one bit though where he says like there's a scene where I think when the mother's kind of give him like a bracelet to say good luck and he's like, I don't yeah. believe in luck. And then like, maybe like four scenes later, he tells his friend, good luck. And it's like, oh, I, didn't, I, thought, you didn't, I thought you didn't believe in luck, boy. 
It's the principle. Okay? It's like you know. I feel like they should have done. They should have. I feel like maybe they could have shown like the thing, like him going, him like looking down, and him going like, "Good luck," but you know, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But yeah, no, it's good. Okay, cool. So, so this is on. Um, so this is going to be in Curzon Cinemas. Because uh, I think Amazon and Curzon have like an exclusive partnership with their releases, and it's uh, so it's on Prime Video uh, now. It will be by the time we this podcast come out. So, Amon, yeah. are you saying screen, stream, or skip? Screen. Okay. Oh, I want to say screen, but. So say it, please. Well, no, say it. Okay, this is the only thing. This is the only thing. There's two other movies this week that I would rather. I think people should prioritize. So I would say, like, mm. if you go into the cinema, if you're going to go like three times this week, yeah. If you're not, maybe, maybe stream it. That's fair. Yeah, you know what? Like, I feel like it's a, it's a. It, you could watch it on the big screen for sure. I'm at Maisie, like screen or stream, whatever you feel more comfortable mm. with. Because I felt just as much an emotional impact watching it at home. So, and I like, there's so many bits. I was just like, it was just like, I was just like, one of those things was just like, these fucking kids, these four <laughs> kids. And you're like, 11 days, 11 days. How is that even? Just, okay. It's just wild. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, well, actually this is interesting. So what, from one kind of, uh, feat of nature to another, this is, Fire of Love. This is Katya. And this is Maurice. <laughs> Tomorrow will be their last day. They will leave behind hundreds of hours of footage, thousands of photos, and a million questions. And yeah! Your love is on fire. That's like the worst Kings of Leon song. That was when Kings of Leon was like, we're gonna go commercial so we can make some money. Yeah. I don't I don't like that song, but I couldn't really think of anything else. I was trying to I there's I feel like there should be a song that's called Fire of Love, but I couldn't think of it. So Yeah. It's weird. Maybe we should write the song Fire of Love. Fire at the volcano. Fire at the Volcano Edge. <laughs> <laughs> I've sung it now. It's too late. It's done. done it. <laughs> this is a fire of love. Uh, so Katja and Maurice Kraft loved two things, each other and volcanoes. For two decades, the daring French volco- volcanologist. Shit. <laughs> Not to be mistaken with Vulcan. I know, it's, just, <laughs> it's a really hard word. I got it right the first time, okay. For two decades, the daring French volcanologist... Vulca- okay. <laughs> it's the rhythm you have to say, it, isn't it? French volcanologist, okay. For two decades, the daring French volcanologist couple roamed the planet, chasing eruptions and documenting their discoveries. Ultimately, they lost their lives in a 1991 volcanic explosion, leaving a legacy that forever enriched our knowledge of the natural world. So this is directed and co-written by Sarah Dozer, and it's also narrated by my fave, Miranda July. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love her. Uh, so I actually kind of, I kind of want to almost start with the the Miranda July narration, because <laughs> the second that voice started, I was like, oh my God, that's Miranda July. I immediately knew what kind of movie this was going to be. <laughs> and I think for me, what's so interesting about Fire of Love is... 
Okay. Well, Hannah, would you agree with me that this is almost not a documentary? It feels like a short story, like a based off a real thing. Like it feels like that. Does that make sense? Just felt, I suppose, and I think that's part of it, it was Miranda July's narration, who won, has a beautiful voice, like the huskiness. It's like, oh my God. And everything just sounded so poetic. And it feels like, in a way, it's like a fable. Do you know what I mean? It felt like, you know, this is like like an epic poem, like the Iliad or something like that. It feels that's the gravitas that it gives to this kind of, I don't know, this couple who risked it all together and just the way it was shot and the kind of lyric, the, the kind of lyrical narration with it. Yeah. It didn't, it, 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 it didn't have this, it was so uh, um, articulate, but also artistic in the delivery of the footage that obviously they shot for the, throughout their career mixed obviously with like, you know, obviously interviews and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it was astounding. And also just like astounding when you see that you know this is it's not like you know it's national geographic but it feels like this is someone who's somewhere where it's like this isn't just your basic like this is someone's you know oh look a science documentary this feels like far more than that yeah i mean the narration to me is the most interesting part almost because like there was a lot of stuff where like Ray de July's like, oh, Katya was like a bird, <laughs> and uh, Maurice was like a sea lion, and part of my brain was like, how do you know that? Like how do you know that? <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's it. I think if you were taking like a really cold approach to this film, you would go, well, how do they know half the shit that was in that narration? Because it feels made up. But at the same time, the other part of me is like, I would love to be romanticized like this. If I died in a volcano accident, like, I would please make this documentary about me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you die in a cinema. Yeah, if I die in like a tragic piece of popcorn, a tragic cinema fire, like, please make this documentary about me because I love. I think we should romanticize our own lives. And even though there might not be, there might be some like sort of assumptions being made in this movie. I don't care. I love it. But do you not think that comes from a place of like deep research and speaking to people who knew them and like getting a vibe of them. And then basically that's the metaphorical interpretation of them to kind of add that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the kind of characteristics you associate with these things. I think I, I get what you're saying, but I do feel like this is, you know, with the amount, I, I, I kind of want to give the benefit of the doubt to the filmmakers that they've watched hours of footage, their interpretation of it, of their, the way they see that word and like, how would you talk about it if you were a poet? And that's why I say it's got this poet, poetic vibe to it. It's like, you can just do the straight story or you can elevate it into something just like serene and beautiful and take something tragic and just make it seem just like, like transcendent. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I just want to. I, I want this on the record, Hannah Kalis. If, if you, if and when you ever die from popcorn at a cinema, I will happily narrate your stories. I'll make, I'll make you sound <laughs> yeah. amazing. I just want to no, get that on me. record. If I die before Miranda <laughs> July dies, Miranda July can narrate. <laughs> I want her exclusively. Her. It was like honestly, I was like oh, the way she was like like that crackle of it. It's it so just. It's like, you know, you like, sometimes you hear narration and it's just a bit bland. And this was like, no, this is like doing so much of the work <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. to add that kind of texture. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I will allow that, Hannah. That's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with everything you're saying about the narration. Um, and it really adds and accentuates the story 
both stories being told in terms of their love of volcanoes and their love of each other. And it works so well because, you know, if you don't have that narration, this is just, it's still a very sort of interesting film, but it's just all the archival footage that they have together, which has been stitched and put together in a, in a very elegant way. I think that narration just helps uh, sort of thread everything in together. That makes sense. That makes sense. And it's, it's really well done. Yeah, I mean, Amon, could you talk a little bit more about the, yeah, the footage captured? Because, like, mm. volcanoes are fucking cool. I don't know how to explain it. Like, <laughs> I love volcanoes. <laughs> they are cool as yeah. shit. And it's it looks incredible when they erupt. Uh, <laughs> so And all that lava. Yeah. Talk about the lava footage. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Again, the film which I thought of a couple of times. Did you ever watch that Pixar short, Lava? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about love him a couple of times watching this. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, nah, it's good. You know what? I watched this on my little laptop screen. I wish I watched this at a cinema uh, because the footage captured in this is just absolutely incredible. Um, and I, yeah, and I love, again, with the narration, with the graphics that they have explaining... Um, what the volcanoes are, how hot they are, how dangerous they are, the difference between red volcanoes and grey volcanoes. I did not know anything about volcanoes going into this film. Um, I still don't know enough to like, you know, teach anybody a college course or anything, but I appreciated that this film gave us a lot of information uh, I, uh, with, about volcanoes without sort of making that sound boring in any way. It was really good. And then the, footage is again is incredible um, watching this it kind of reminded me of like how Werner Herzog does documentaries and there was this one called Fireball about like meteorites hitting earth and the craters and like looking around the world but he, he has a very like very specific way of um I don't know creating awe about the natural world and the way he delivers and I thought that was that kind of reminded me of watching this I thought it'd be a great double bill uh if you did those two because it's just I don't know I just think sometimes that's that way of documentary making, I think it definitely suits my sensibilities. Although I, I will say one thing about the film, because it romanticizes it so much. Mm. I'm not sure if it did enough about like, they talk a lot about like the arguments between, like said, oh, they had a volcanic relationship. Mm. I don't know about you, but I felt like they kind of slightly skimmed over that a bit. Like it was, okay, I thought we'd have a bit more about the kind of like volatility of that relationship but i don't know if i i mean they were french so (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a given that they probably argued quite a lot (laughs) yeah but there was a thing where it's like when i'm saying it's like the risk taking there's a bit about like maurice wanted to you know he was like doing this and she goes if you did that that's the last photo i'd ever take you and i would love to understand a bit like how potentially you know the risk that caused because anyone who works like my parents work together and like there they have they can have volatile relations for 20 years and that creates when you have this like codependent dynamic work life i think that would have been really cool to kind of understand what were those for kind of bits mm. understand it a bit more yeah that's interesting like i agree with you to a point but it's like both maurice and katya at various points in this film it's clear that they've made their peace with their work and the dangers of their work and you know if they died and so be it um so yes it would have been interesting to learn more about the risks in terms of certain decisions that were being made especially on Maurice's part and what impact that had they had that had on their relationship but at the same time 
they both made that peace with it. So sure, but there's yeah. a difference between like understanding the risks and wanting to take them. Like make mm-hmm. silly decisions. You know what I mean? Things that go too far. <laughs> like it's like me. It's, <laughs> look, it's like me and going in the sea anywhere there's potential sharks. It's like look. Mm. This is why I'm not going to go in deep because the sharks is their land. It's their world, right? And if yeah. I happen to have a shark and it eats me, that's my own stupid fucking fault. Do you know what mm. I mean? So I'm not going to create a risk for myself by doing things like swimming with sharks and all that type of thing because yeah. I feel like I get bit a lot by mosquitoes. I'm a tasty bitch. <laughs> and I don't want to risk some Jaws motherfucker taking a bite out of my ass and be like, hmm, more. <laughs> Yeah, nah, I see videos every now and then of, like, people going down with their snorkels and, like, in the cage and, like, watching things with them, like, all the sea life around. It's like, nope, not for me. I'm going to stay here on land where it's safe. I love sharks. Yeah, you're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> I swim the shark. I'm convinced I could be friends with them, for sure. Of course you are. <laughs> I'm the friend the sharks. And then the Fate of Black podcast was two people. Just <laughs> I mean, I, one thing I wanted to add that I think kind of builds on your point here is I did, I did like that within all of this, it, it like the documentary had that sort of tension between like, cause like the volcano is obviously the passion of their love. And like, there's sort of this idea that for them being around these, these things of like immense power and danger and destruction, like sort of helped grow like their feelings towards each other in the same way that like it's quite romantic to go stargazing because you feel very small in the universe and it's like oh us two against the world attitude but i think it did a really nice job of like balancing that with also like the real destruction that it creates and you see the the eruptions the people that die i mean they died obviously but also Mm. um yeah like 20 2,000 people mm. dying in Colombia because of an eruption that they knew was going to happen and the government mm. didn't do anything about it. Like, yeah, I find I found that balance was like for such a romantic, like, oh, beautiful movie. It made the time to like talk about that side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. in a way that's like, I, I think there's so much about what we see on screen and what what it tells us we can be. And I think you could have easily done something where it's like, you know, Maurice, do you know what I mean? Like, and then, oh, Katya, his wife. But this mm. was so, and I felt like actually, of course, with such female creators behind, it was so, there was an evenness, but actually maybe a little bit more with Katya. And I wonder, like, the romanticizing, it seems like such a, even though it's a terrifying job, but it makes it a desirable job that, you know, more women and I might be like, I want to study volcanoes. Like, that, that is now a job that people might watch this documentary and think, or like kids might watch this and think that's something I want to do. And that's quite like the idea of the way they've done this. It's like, you've made this career seem like just like, like, you know, forget being an astronaut, be a volcanologist. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I love that if you go to the Natural History Museum in London, I love their volcano section. It's great. I have not been so long. I think last time I went for a screening, (laughs) but when I was a kid, because like, I don't know about you, Amon, did you come into, because I grew up in West London, um, but from the end up until the age of 10. And so we'd always do school trips to like the Science Museum, National History Museum, mm. the Planetarium and all that bit. No, I never went to National History. I think we I think we took a trip to, to the Millennium Dome. 
Oh, just open that. Yeah. We did that. Like we went there first, <laughs> and because it was my, it was during the Labour government, and my mum was MP, so I was like, "Gotta go support Tony." This absolute <laughs> drastic failure. <laughs> I love yeah. the Millennium Dome. Well, not they the had that big, like inside the anatomy thing, wasn't it? Yes. That big ear, yeah. and you like went inside the intestine. I love. Yeah. I miss it every day. <laughs> I would like to go back and right. move large intestine. It's very cozy. Well, that settles it. We're going on the fade to black trip. To the National History Museum yes. before the year is out. Oh my god! And they have the earthquake simulator when you go in the Japanese. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Police can just tell us where to go because she clearly knows everything. Oh, <laughs> I, look, I'm a museum kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can recreate the scene of you in there from Ted with Ted Lasso. <laughs> yes, we can get a picture. Yes, yes. Oh, what's the? Okay, this is happening. This is happening, <laughs> listeners. Oh, yes. I can't field wait. trip. Face that field trip. <laughs> well, before we head off on our field trip, let's decide whether we are going to screen, stream, or skip Fire of Love Amon. I streamed it. You guys should screen it. Hannah. Copy and paste Amon. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think you should screen it. A very beautiful movie. From field trips to road trips. It's hit the road. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. Dum, dum, what dum, you dum, say? <laughs> God, we're really getting into it today. Like, we're really, like, owning it. <laughs> Fun fact. In boarding school, uh, we used to do all these music competitions. And for one of them, it was me and three other girls from my class. We did Hit the Road, Jack, and I was on the piano. Uh, doing the doing the thing, uh, we 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 did not win. Um, shockingly, Aww. I demand a recount to this day, but you know, didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> but hit the road tells the story of a chaotic tender family who are on a road trip across a rugged landscape. But to where? In the back seat, Dad has a broken leg, but is it really broken? Mum tries to laugh when she's not holding back tears. The kid keeps exploding into choreographed car karaoke. He seems like a fun time. Uh, all of them are fussing over the sick dog and getting on each other's nerves. Only the mysterious older brother is quiet. This is written and directed by Pana Panahi in his feature debut. It stars Hassan Majuni, Pantea Panahia, Rayan Sarak, and Amin Simiar. Panahi is the son of Jafar Panahi, a leading figure of the Iranian New Wave, who was detained in Iran on 11th of July. Uh, so I have not seen Hit the Road for my sins, uh, but I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. It sounds like a major- a, a, the vast majority of it, if not the whole thing, takes place in the car. Uh, so it's all about the dynamics between all these characters. Uh, how do you feel that worked over the 90 or so minutes uh, this film takes place? And Hannah, let us start with you. I th- I mean, it, yeah, it is in a car, but there's lots of pit stops and then there's kind mm. of, you know, that kind of things going on in the way. And it's also, it's kind of like, half, you could, half the time it's like, there's so such sparse information that you're really given about why they're on this journey. 
Right. So it's kind of like they're going somewhere. They have to leave quickly. They've sold all that. They've sold all this stuff to try and get their son, their elder son away. And then it's kind of like, you know, they end up going on this road, going to the mountain. I what I quite love about, you know, um, this film as well. It's like often when you think about the Middle East, there's that yellow filter, like everything's desert and all this. And you can see the beauty of the Iranian landscape. And that's probably why we're just to go back on like Top Gun Maverick, why that things a lot of people thought that was like a stand in for Iran because obviously the, you know, terrain and this very mixed hair there. But I think um, what really captures it is just like the, and again, this, is, this shouldn't be like a revel revelatory or anything like that but it's just like the dynamic between the family where they're just like <laughs> they're such dicks to each other but also love each other and it's like that realness the relatableness of like the kid that won't shut up like like the dad like the, the boy I met with my mom it's just like this thing where it's like it kind of reminded me of my own family of like you can have like an argument that's like, like you know pissing each other off but then also like true love like the, the assertive attitudes it's just I think for me it's the it's that's which is the glue that kind of keeps you so intrigued and on this journey you're so intrigued to find out more and it's like little snippets of information and when you get to like the final act where you kind of arrive at this sort of destination and that's when like you know suddenly you get this real jolt of just emotion and mm. kind of like anxiety as well of and just this kind of beauty, and, and also just this beauty that felt, and again, I don't want to kind of, not that I can give it away, but there's this real sense of like, they've been, underneath that's all the friction, there is this deep love within this family who are just trying to survive in a mm. country that is basically a, run by a regime that is making it very hard on people to live just, normal everyday lives um so yeah yeah i love that um hannah you mentioned um sort of a mystery aspect to it in terms of you don't always know or you for for a bunch of people you don't know where they're headed Clarice, how do you feel uh that worked in terms of when they choose to pull the trigger on revealing certain things did that did that work for you yeah but they kind of i think it's so subtly done and in that way it's so realistic because to me like on top of everything that hannah said it what struck me as so realistic is the way that they all deal with trauma because like they just have to keep going like they know they have a destination that they have to get to and they have this thing that they have to do in like this they're not going to gain anything from talking about it they're trying to keep the kid kind of out of it because he's a child he needs to keep his innocence and so it's so like beautifully done and crafted the way that everyone's always talking around it because that's just what you do when you when you've gone through something really traumatic like a lot of people cope by just not not talking about it (laughs) and Mm. swerving around it and trying to keep it light but then it comes out in like little tiny reactions like the way that the son uh reacts to the mom like singing this whole pop song his frustration with it like that's a little revealing of something and it's like there's these little tiny interactions very slowly you start to build a picture of like what's going on Mm -hmm. like what's the dynamic what's at risk um and i think like yeah i just i love this movie so much and and i think the dynamic between all those characters and the lightness and the darkness of it just felt like 
that's like my kind of movie you know where it just hits mm. that like yeah. perfect like this is what life is like it's like really fucked up but kind of funny at the same time like it's like you know like little miss sunshine it's not as overtly obviously american as far more subtle than that but it has that sort of like oh this imperfect not like they're not like the stepford family you know what i mean but i wonder also i just want to add just like on a kind of contextual I suppose my understanding of it is why it's so subtle is because, as you mentioned, uh, Panar's father, Jafar, has mm. been and he's sentenced to like six years in jail. And there's a big thing. And and a lot of Iranian cinema, like there is no evil. The director of that has been like he's on the blacklist. I wonder if it's because, you know, one of the things you find in certain places where there's totalitarian governments is that the art that filmmakers make, if you criticise the government if you show anything in that way that can reflect badly on it you will could risk imprisonment and there's lots mm-hmm. of filmmakers and i wonder if part of keeping that kind of idea because in my head you know and i don't think this is a spoiler because if you know what's going on but like you know in iran there is mandatory you know army service right there's also rules against homophobia like there's loads of things in like that and i wonder if that and then obviously the whole point is the son's trying to escape he's a like young adult and I wonder if the reason why they haven't given us a specific reason um, is because they wanted to avoid, you know, I mean, cool, his dad's going for speaking out. Like, this way you can talk about stuff without actually having to talk about stuff. And it's like subtle enough where you can know what's going on if you, if you do outside reading or learn mm. a bit more about the historical and like, actually not historical, like current political context. That way, having that context will make, open up what's going on a bit more to you. I think you're 100% right and I I think it's probably like a little bit of a combination of both because yeah yeah like part of it was necessary for the film to exist and I think at the same time it does also play into like the situation and the realism of that situation that I don't think you would like I, I just I think that family in that situation would not talk about it so it's kind of interesting I think it, it feels like both and um especially with the kid involved i think the kid involved reminded me a lot of like because i love persepolis is one of my favorite movies and the way that maljan chachapi like taught those conversations between when she's a little girl with her parents and they talk about um the iranian government and what's happening it has that same kind of like let's kind of talk around it and let's let's kind of laugh it off and make it seem Mm. smaller because we cannot like traumatize we're trying so hard to not traumatize this kid Mm. and like i find that so moving like the sacrifice that parents will make just to keep like the purity of of their kids and that kid is so fucking cute as well (laughs) i I want to add wadja um by um is another one where it's like, again, because she's like one of the first Saudi uh, Saudi Arabian filmmakers who's ever made something within Riyadh, I think. And it's like, how do we talk about this, like issues of like conservative, like oppressive feminist things within a community and what this woman and also like the institution of like taking a second bride, you know, polyamory, like not polyamory in that sense, but like have like in certain, you know, Islamic cultures, you can take a second wife, you know, that type of thing. And I think that's it, it is, and I. This is why it's. I feel like I'm so glad more of these films are coming out. Certainly, just for me because I feel like I mean, you know, I'm not Iranian, but like it. It feels like this. Like it's opening up a world that, when you look at headlines, they it's such a distorted view 
where we basically think what's going on with the government is reflective of the attitudes within people who live there. And it's like, this is why it's important to have these like homegrown, like real down to earth grounded stories about real people rather than just these like political thrillers about, you know, oh no, there's a... Iranians want uranium, they're going to make uranium and all this type of shit. It's like, this is what we need. This is like, you know, Ken Loach or like Mike Lee or Andrew Ron or like shit. Like it's like where we want to get down to earth, just normal, real people. And I, I, I can only hope that people watch this and just like either learn more or kind of have more empathy for anyone they see from, the, from these countries. And why people seek asylum as well. Hundred hmm. percent. Um, before we move on to the screen, stream or skip recommendations, I do want to ask about the performances. Um, is there any standouts for you? You mentioned The Kid. Uh, I'm really interested to know exactly what songs he sings in this choreographed car karaoke thing. This is intriguing to me. Um, but uh, but yeah, talk about the cast. Hassan Majuni, Pantea Panahia, Ryan Salak, Amin Samir. Um, names that I have not heard before, but names I should get ultra familiar with by what I'm hearing, Greece. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's not everyone's fantastic. I think the film it's it's really like a an ensemble piece in terms of having the distinct characters all kind of work together. And I feel like the one thing that I do want to highlight that hasn't been highlighted is how it's really funny. It's so funny, mm, yeah. which I think maybe is what separates it like for his debut from like his dad's work or um or Abbas Kiarostami's work is like this is this is like a comedy. <laughs> yeah, but that's why it's I mentioned comedy. Little Miss Sunshine because it's yeah. like that sort of like yeah, that's yeah, but like a very specific like Iranian humor. <laughs> yeah, that's quite and, like, dry actually, quite like acerbic sometimes. <laughs> there's this thing where they the dog and they keep trying to abandon the dog and they tie <laughs> yeah. the dog to a plastic chair. Yeah. And this is what I love like really good like comedy filmmaking is when you have a really wide shot and everything's really still and then something insane just comes on screen and so there's the mom's like walking down the road and you see the dog with the plastic chair just like storm into view and like (laughs) it's so like that is really like skillful comedy filmmaking to me and I think to go back to the performances everybody in that cast is finding that perfect balance between like delivering the punchlines of the jokes and then having these little moments like this is one shot of the the mom in particular near the end where she just looks so tired and like immediately from that you get everything that is unspoken the whole way through the film because she that's the thing it's like people it's a movie about people not really talking about things but you see it in their face Mm. and i think you need really strong performers to get that across I think for me, like uh, Pantea Panahia, like she just, and there's even a bit at the end where she's singing, and and again, like so. So I think the use of music in this is really well done in kind of exhibiting mm. some of these emotions and like the breaking you of really it. But like buried Karen, the lead there, Hannah Flint. Yeah. Why was that not the first thing you said? <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> and also, you know, again, there's a bit of whimsy in it. Um, uh, there's a bit towards the end that's quite again when I say the beauty of it the kind of disconnect but the, between the son and the, the like the younger son and the dad it was and the little kid you know that's it kind of add that onto the you know encounter you know little kids who are just doing the most from that little kid in encounter the Riz Ahmed um film the right, younger right. one it's like yeah, he has that yeah. and it's sort of energy it's like <laughs> nice. it's, mm. it's very good very good cool 
Well, I think I know what the responses are going to be, but it is time for our screen stream or skip recommendations on Hit the Road. Hannah. Screen, please. <laughs> and Clarice. Uh, yes, screen. This is my pick if you're going to see one thing. I think it's also, yeah. it's if you've got a movie go, is that what it's called? It's like the film of the week I saw. So you can okay. use your yeah. movie thing to go see it. Very good. Now this, I'm going to try and get to this this weekend because you're so abusive about this film. I want to I see what, what I'm missing here. So yeah, hit the road. But before you do that, we got we to gotta do our, we got to do our, are we ready? Uh, <laughs> hot take. Hot take. Imagine doing this in front of a live audience <laughs> and everyone joins in. Oh yes. Guys, if you come down, everyone quiet. joins in on a hot take. Yeah. Get ready. Tune your voices. <laughs> no, don't. Don't tune it. <laughs> Be you. <laughs> Well, we're coming full circle because we're talking about, we started with Marvel, we're coming back to Marvel, but in a very different mm. light this time. Uh, Chris Lee, in a new piece for Vulture, put together an anonymous account by a VFX artist about the brutal reality of working on one of Marvel's new blockbusters. Anxiety attacks, breakdowns, indecision, impossible deadlines, and the kicker is, because Marvel is such a major player in the industry, that means that these VFX studios have very little power to fight back if they're too loud. That means they'll simply be blacklisted. So the question we are asking on Fate of Light today is what led to this? And also, like, what can we we do as audience members, Marvel fans? Like, what can we do to change things for the better? What I find interesting is how much I kind of, like, relate to their struggle as freelancers in a very competitive field. Because, you know, there are times when... You know, you, you know, I know a lot of people when they're first starting out, like get paid nothing or a pittance to do. You know, I remember when I was writing for Screen Rant, when I was first try, trying to like transition and it was like, you know, you get $10 a news story, $20 for like a long story. And it's like 2000 words. And you're like, I can't believe the work I have to put into this and I'm getting paid pittance. And it's like, and then it's on like how many clicks you get. So then you get like a, I don't know, after 30 days you get like whatever it is. And it's only end up like, end up being like that extra $10. And I think about that, about like how, or like when you, you know, when you ask for more money or like you're worried that because so many people want to do it that they'll just get someone else. So you kind of accept it. And that so that lowers, do you know what I mean? If it, I really, really, I can understand that, that, that situation. Um, I think it's very easy to see how this situation happens because Marvel is one of the most desired places to work, big contracts, whatever. And I think, you know, as much as we can love the contents coming out and love the movies, it is absolutely our position to criticize when they are basically um underpaying workers it's the same with the disneyland you know the disneyland thing where it's like lockdown and they basically didn't pay the workers enough like if someone's getting it and again rail unions the union stuff with this train strikes if people are making profit and people at the top are getting it and shareholders are getting more money it's not fair that you're not paying people the value for their work and it's not just that one thing i was really interested is like there was a bit where they said that on a normal action film, you'd have about 10 VFX artists working on one thing. And in Marvel, they'll only pay for two, which is just insane. To, it's like, it's just insane to me that that is something that it happens. And again, getting undercut saying like, oh, you want to get it. So you always lower your wages. It's just, it's just awful and awful. And also, you know, one of the things recently, a lot of people are talking about is the quality of the CGI 
And mm-hmm. it just feels like, you know, I think one of the examples in the, in, in the, and it's funny, my friend Leila Latif, I was speaking to the other day, she said, you mm-hmm. should rewatch Black Panther. He said that last action sequence is just like, it just doesn't hold up. It looks really weird. And then in the article, it's like, they don't have D- DOPs, directors of photography, working on those scenes. And that seems like such a, so counterproductive to me because you can't, they're VFX artists, they're not cinematographers. If you want to make it, so it just, again, it's this cutting corners and hoping that the, you know, layman, you know, film watchers just don't really care enough. But it's like, I, I, I'm very unhappy with that situation. Um, and I think Marvel needs to really address it. Kevin Feige, yeah. everyone involved uh, needs to, you know, push. Yeah. Yep. Um, I agree with a lot uh, of what you said. I will say that before I continue, Marvel definitely have uh, a big say in this, both in terms of what the situation now is and what they can do to impact change. But this is an industry-wide issue that doesn't just concern Marvel. And I think that's an important thing to point out. But yes, um, you know, the the constant... The, the reason why it's like Marvel, I'm not, it's not going to say scapegoating because, you know, they're, they're being bought up here for a good reason. But the reason why is because they are so big, they can bully and they can set parameters no matter how difficult they may be because they're Marvel and, you know, eager to please and get it right for the big corporation. And I feel like that is the thing which they can easily change in terms of hiring more people. Uh, as you said, in terms of setting more reasonable deadlines, in terms of training filmmakers who aren't necessarily that familiar with visual effects to get better at understanding what certain scenes entail. And to not... One of the the things I kept reading in that Vulture article and I've seen in other places as well is that they will ask for changes in the 11th hour for like Mm. massive changes on big scenes. That's something which I think we're training directors and others on VFX so that they know exactly what shots they need at an earlier time. That is something that you can improve upon. So there, there's a, you know, a path to making this better. Uh, the other thing that which I kept seeing, especially in a lot of comment boards, is that for the visual effects artists themselves, if they, if they can get unionization, that would help them a lot. So that's a path for them. So, so, so yeah, they, they just need to, to do it now. And honestly, it's gotten to the point with Marvel, I'm enjoying a lot of what they're putting out, but Phase 4 has been so much... It, it hasn't been bad, but I, I can't poo-poo takes that say it's been more quantity over quality uh, with Phase 4, especially when it comes to the visual effects. There's been too many instances where it's like, that doesn't look great. Doctor Strange had iffy effects, there's a couple of moments, there's more than a couple of moments in Thor, Love and Thunder. I was like, that could have looked better. Um, so yeah, I, I would be happy with them if they calmed down on the quantity of it all, if it meant better quality, especially in BFX, and especially because that would have the knock-on effect of giving these guys more time to do work which they really want to perfect. Um, so yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I I kind of struggle to... S- I, I struggle to like see this conversation within the context of I guess film and like being a film fan and cinephilia and I guess like even our hot take on the podcast because to me this is purely political and this just mm. comes down to like 
people who care about this issue, like whatever country you, you, if you live in the US, write to your senators, like, yeah, push for, for worker, like emancipation. Like it just comes down to this is the, yeah, this is the thing with capitalism is that it's just like we workers' rights are being constantly fucking stripped every single day. And this is like a specific instance that is happening in a thing that, that we like. And, um, like I think certainly, like as film fans being, outspoken and like making this such a big deal on twitter that i think hopefully maybe kevin feige will have to address it in some way i don't know if anything's going to change but to publicly Mm. shame them into at least like i don't know maybe doing a pittance but really at the end of the day what you've got to be doing is like pushing for socialism or communism or something you've got to deconstruct capitalism like i don't know how else this changes unless the entire structure of the world we live in is fixed because maybe not the same but i think they're certainly in the same ballpark of like you know me too like things going on behind the scenes it's a systemic issue and what Mm -hmm. i don't like about um you know, you say about it's not just Marvel, but like, I know it's not, but it's also Marvel is now setting a standard that other companies can yeah, adopt. Yeah. And it's like, how does that become the new way of doing stuff? It's it's just, it just, it just feels like kind of despicable. <laughs> and, you know, again, I'm pro-union. I'm like, you know, we can't, I was supposed to go to Margate on Saturday. Can't go because rail strikes. Fine. I won't go to Margate. I'll live my life. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Obviously, there's some people who've got other things going on, which is hard. Obviously, me going to Margate is not the same as someone who needed to go get, a, you know, get a train to a hospital stuff. I understand that. But like, again, it's not about these workers complaining. And I've seen a lot of, you know, you see people criticizing. It's like, why are these peeking out? I don't really care. It's like, you know what? Wait until it happens to something in your industry. Like, you can have this separation because that's not you guys. That's, that's, um, you know, that's VFX artists. That's not you guys. So it's train drivers or railway workers. Not even train drivers, like some of it's railway workers. But wait until like when when actually um when it when when it affects your industry and then people like saying no, because actually this is feels like in this day and age, like there is so little respect uh for workers at all. Mm-hmm. And everyone who has a job With the is Starbucks a worker. Stuff, like looking right. at Prep. Like, like yeah. it's like we need that and, and, and I just feel like it's important to say this, like, call it out. And, and, and you know what? It makes me feel it's like it's difficulty. I, think, I suppose the difficulty I find, and I wonder if you find it as well, is like, you know, we cover Marvel. And like, when I do my MTV movie stuff, like, I love doing it. But it's not, it's not the, four, if I wanted to, like, just say we're going to cover, like, Black Panther, I'm not allowed to, no. <laughs> I can't ask about, like, so what do you think about the VFX thing? Because it's not that short show. But like, if I was in capacity to be able to ask about that, for an outlet stuff, I feel like I would. And I do feel like sometimes it's like our responsibility. If we are able to, in what we're doing for our work is like approaching those questions. I know most of these places don't want us to. I know that the PRs would be like, you can't ask about this. You can't ask about that. But I remember a while ago when I did, um, I did a junket for Thor Ragnarok. And this is mm. quite a while ago. And I got flown out to LA for it. And uh, it was just when Me Too hit, like that thing. And so I had time with Tessa Thompson. And Tessa was vocal about it from the beginning right and um i remember pr there the american side this isn't uk pr but i remember mm-hmm. uh, someone was said oh the prs are going around saying you can't mention me too they never got to me <laughs> so i said so i went in there and i asked about it and she gave a really great answer and then i got like an email from one saying oh we told people not to ask about that and i just said well no one told me and to be honest T- tessa's like a really big uh vocal activist on this subject and it seems like it'd be weird to silence her now and then that was it 
Because I, you know, I think people want to control, but it's also like, ask, you know, this is, we're watching entertainment, but it's, it's called a business for a reason. And there are other things that's going on. And if we can, you know, try and gauge a response and maybe get talk about and spotlight things, then these things don't exist in the, in the shadows. Yeah. Do you think anyone's ever going to ask and didn't even love about certain casting decisions in June? I swear to God, <laughs> they fucking best do this time, June 2. So I did see uh, that they cast um, uh, Sahelia Yakub, who's a half Tunisian actress, which is great. But the character <laughs> in the book, their only role is they give uh, Paul some hooks to ride the worm. So if that's literally the only thing that she does in it, in that massive movie, nah. Yeah. Representation for representation's sake is and, not and, the way. You know, we've talked about Iranian cinema in here and, and like Padisha is Persian, Padisha Empire. You know, everyone seems to forget that like there wasn't just empires that were like the British Empire and whatever. There were like the Islamic ever, Ottoman Empire, like, Tur- you know what I mean? There were so many Persian Empire, like there were so many empires, like, that can be reflected in this film. And I was kind of sad that they once again were just totally whitewashed, like the whole emperor and the family. But, you know, Hollywood gonna Hollywood. Indeed they do. Hope they have a lovely time in Jordan. <laughs> Wadi Ram with Jordanians used as extras. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Support the rail strikes, support the Starbucks unions, join a union, yeah. support unions in general. Sally um, Fields, union! <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, that was my answer to the question is just support support workers where you can when they, yeah. when they speak out. If they're striking, don't fucking complain. Shut up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. I will find I- you and I will shut you up. Just shut up if they strike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was Irvin Welsh who once said, like, and this is maybe like voting, but I think it kind of applies. If you're doing well, if you're doing okay in life, support people who are. <laughs> if you're not doing well in life, support yourself, right? And it like vote, you know, I mean, vote for others or vote yeah. for yourself to do better. And I do feel really that if you're doing yeah. okay, try and do things to kind of support, uplift, or like empathize. Yeah. Because this is the thing I feel like it's well. going to happen is that they're going to a Marvel movie is going to be delayed because the VFX workers are going to finally like unionize and get together and be like fuck this and then everyone on the internet is going to be f- fucking complaining. So I'm just preempting this by saying if I see any of you complaining <laughs> about yeah. a future Marvel yeah. movie being delayed, I will come and I will find you and I will <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm being serious. She's got a she's got a particular <sighs> set of skills. It's making people complaining about strikes. Shut up, because yeah. that's like my massive pet peeve. Is I hate people doing that. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> On that bombshell, I love to. Better the podcast, podcast does not condone the <laughs> or <laughs> or shutting up. Well, the, the, the shut upping maybe, um, but the other stuff of. My views People are not are... representative of the entire Fate of Light podcast. There you go. <laughs> it's just me. It's fine. <laughs>
But thanks for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. If you love the podcast, it really does make a difference. And tweet us at Fate to Black Pod if you have something you'd love for us to shout out next week. And you can follow us individually at I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter or at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah Ernest Flint on Instagram. And I'm at Mon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. By the time this podcast goes out, it'll be Sunday morning. Tonight, tonight, uh, I will be hosting a Q&A for Con Air on the 25th anniversary of Con Air uh, at Pitch House Central. So if you want to come down, get your tickets. Exciting. I love that for you, Amon. Yeah, it should be fun. One. <laughs> Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Thank you.